Welcome to Pomegranate Health, a podcast about the culture of medicine. I'm Mick Cavazzini for the Royal Australasian College of Physicians. In the last couple of episodes, we looked at the challenges and rewards of physician training in regional settings in Australia. We visited the country town of Dubbo and the remote regional service in Western Australia's Kimberley. Today, we'll hear three perspectives on rural medicine in New Zealand, Aotearoa, recorded at the RACP Congress in Auckland. New Zealand doesn't have the same extremes of remoteness as Australia, but it does have a rugged landscape that results in small and scattered communities. And there is a strong rural identity, although the fraction of the population classified as such is now around 16%. As you'll hear today, the populations which are disproportionately underserviced and in worse health are not necessarily the most remote. The demarcations fall much more starkly along lines of socioeconomic status and areas of need are as often in minor urban settings as they are in the country. But there are solutions and great experiences to be had serving these communities. The first speaker is Dr Ross Lawrenson, Professor of Population Health at the University of Waikato and Population Health Advisor for the Waikato District Health Board. Um, But I think, you know, the premise that we're really talking about today is, you know, the rural communities have poor access to healthcare uh, and because of that they get poorer health outcomes and that we can fix this by having um, the appropriate uh, quality and capacity in the rural health workforce. Um, The rural populations in New Zealand um, back in the 1880s, you know, 60% of our population was rural. We were, and we still are, a very agricultural-based society. But today it's around 14 or 15% um, of our population in New Zealand. And that means that the rural population is, is small in proportion and therefore has no political voice. Um, and I think one of the things that we're very jealous of with the Australian situation is that your rural populations have a very strong um, political voice um, and are taken note of within your elections that you're going through at the moment. Um, our rural populations are pretty much ignored as far as the, the political scenario is concerned. One of our problems is what is the definition of rural? So what classifications have we used? Well, one of our problems when we're doing research in New Zealand is we do not have a standard classification of rural. We've used catchment areas of rural hospitals, we've used territorial local authorities, um, or we use our NZ stats classifications. So the question is, does that matter? Well, this is two reports, one done by the Ministry of Health in 2007, which came out and said that urban dwellers were more likely to be diagnosed with heart disease um, than rural dwellers. Um, the National Health Committee in 2010 said rural people are more likely to have ischemic heart disease than urban dwellers. They were using exactly the same data, um, but if you classify minor urban centres as urban then urban people have more heart disease. Um, If you classify only these as rural, then they have less heart disease. We have changed that classification to include not only population density, but also, like me, where do people work as well as live, um, and the urban uh, influence on rural populations. So um, I live on a rural block 30 kilometres outside of Hamilton, um, but the issue is I work in Hamilton um, and a lot of the people around me do. So we have four rural classifications from 
rural areas with a high urban influence through to those that are highly remote, which in New Zealand context is around two to three hours away from a major centre. Um, and, but in fact, we have two sorts of rural communities. We have the, the um, high needs um, uh, rural communities that are decreasing in population, um, that the population there is ageing. But then we have the tourist centres, the Wanakas and the Queenstowns um, and the, the nice rural um, uh, seaside communities, which are actually increasing in population and are very wealthy. And so the health needs of these two populations, we average out um, and then say, oh, there's not a lot of difference uh, between rural and urban populations. Um, but within that um, grouping, there's huge disparities. So in South Waikato, 65% or 64% of the population there are in social deprivation 9 and 10. In Waipa, where I live, 0.9% of the population are in social deprivation 9 and 10. So when we're planning services, they need to be locality-based um, because there's a huge variation in the health needs in those populations. There are some interesting things about rural populations. The more rural you get, the more uh, male you get. So um, all of the uh, rural Communities have more men than women. All of our urban communities have more females than males. Um, but the other big thing that we need to think about around our rural populations is their age structure. And so this is just in the Waikato in our rural areas, but this is what we're predicting over the next 20 years. It's the elderly population um, where we're going to see massive growth. So if you're a rural doctor or rural community, what you're going to be seeing is a huge increase um, in your geriatric population and you're going to become looking after the elderly. Um, but if you look at the um, child population, as I said, it is staying static or decreasing, but actually for the Māori population, we've got a 154% increase in the Māori child population um, and a decrease in the Pākehā population. So what does that really mean? Well, in the Waikato, for instance, we have 40% of our births are Māori. And of 162 midwives, we have two that are Māori. 25% of our population is Māori. So how we are dealing with these two populations is, is a really key issue. So overall, there was no significant differences in the... Um, prevalence or health outcomes of things like diabetes for urban versus rural. For females, um, prevalence of diagnosed arthritis. These are minor differences in needs and health outcomes. And we found that similarly, we did a study on breast cancer and we were interested in looking at is there a difference in outcomes from breast cancer between urban and rural communities? And the answer is no, there is no difference in breast cancer specific mortality for rural versus urban um, or all cause mortality. But if you split it by Māori and non Māori, rural Māori have higher mortality than urban Māori you could see there was almost a 50% or 40 to 50% increase in mortality for rural Māori women compared with urban Māori women, um, whereas for rural Pākehā, um, if anything, there's slightly less mortality. So very different outcomes and different um, influences of access to healthcare for Māori compared with non-Māori. Um, and we again have done another study looking at the, or the number of GPs per 10,000 population in our rural communities in the Waikato and Midland region compared with urban. 13 
GPs for 10,000 in our urban centres, seven in our rural areas. So there's an access issue for rural patients, um, and these are just some of the headlines. If you go on to Google and put in rural workforce, um, you get comments like crisis, uh, crisis keeps coming up, swift action needed on GP uh, shortages. And that does make a difference. Um, this is just another study that we did looking at prescribing um, and we found that for mental health, um, we had half the prescribing rate of antipsychotics in our um, deprived rural communities compared with our um, uh, urban and advantaged uh, communities. So access um, to general practice makes a difference. So in summary, rural communities um, have poor access to health services we need to be aware of the um, demographics of our population. So our rural communities are ageing rapidly um, and we're going to have increasing health needs because of that. But we mustn't forget that our younger Māori population is also proportionately going to be increasing. Uh, the way that we deal with those health needs is not the traditional way that we've done in the past. Um, our small rural towns is where the greatest health need is and where we are suffering from a shortage of workforce. Thank you very much. Dr Martin London is a Fellow of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners and opened the Christchurch Centre for Rural Health in 1994. He has been Chair for the Rural Health Alliance and continues to practice as a rural GP locum when not developing his orchard in Little River. He talks about his hope of seeing a rural-based medical school in New Zealand and how much more effective a locally-based workforce can be. You ask communities what do they want for their health, the top word is security. We know patients want uh, continuity, seeing the same practitioners and uh, building relationships with those practitioners. They want to know that when one set of health workers leaves, there will be others to follow. We know that on an individual basis, they want time with their practitioners. And as an aside, I had a very interesting um, comment from one of the physicians at Greymouth Hospital about the huge cost of endlessly recruiting locums and replacements to their services. And the huge cost was not actually in agency fees or the extraordinarily high fees that we locums like to charge you all, but it's the cost of labs and farms. New people come along and they do more and more investigations or simply fail to reduce treatment. So that's uh, one of the big problems about continuity. Continuity is about building relationships which avoid those things happening. If we talk about clinician-patient relationships, there was a wonderful talk given to the College of GPs in New Zealand Ah, it must be 20 years, 1990-something, I can't remember, by Howard Brody from Michigan. And he's saying, you keep out of court by building relationships with your patients. Coming from an American, this was important. But the really important thing about it is that if you've got a good, ongoing, continuous relationship with that patient, certainly it's humane. Secondly, it's highly scientific, because above all, history History, history is what guides our diagnosis. And it's very cost effective because if you spend that little bit of extra time paying attention, being present, you realise why we don't need to do a CRP or a CT or whatever it is because you understand what's going on. 
that's a little um, soapbox of mine, which I continue. My other soapbox is retention before recruitment. Okay? Recruitment is an exercise in advertising. Retention is paying attention to your workforce so that they want to stay, so that others look and say, where is my rural practice? Because it's the place to be. Why? Because the people out there are having such a good time. What gives me a good time in rural practice that makes me want to stay now for over 30 years? Adequate income, okay. We're not talking riches untold, but the, the, the dollars have got to add up. We all have to retire at some time. Sufficient time off is vital, of course, to retain vitality. And the one I'm going to throw to you is, what do we mean by a supportive professional environment? A stable team is important. Continuing professional development, access to that is important. But above all, it's relationships within the team. That's the team that you've retained. It's self-perpetuating. If you've got a team that wants to, wants to stay together, they all stay together and it strengthens that group. Between disciplines, between the doctors and the nurses and the mental health workers and so on. With employers... How many of you have seen Death Star Canteen? Has anyone seen that? It's a YouTube thing, Eddie Izzard, where Darth Vader comes down to the Death Star campaign and starts abusing the little man who works uh, behind the counter. And Darth Vader says, do you know who I am? And the little man says, do you know who I am? How many of us who are in positions of uh, seniority, shall I say, really know who the people are we work with. Um, and the other th important aspect of a supportive professional environment, and I'm going to throw this to you lot as physicians, is good relationships between primary and secondary services. If I know the person and have the respect of the person I'm referring to, we can have a good conversation um, rather than, as we in rural practice have often experienced, uh, uh, it's just a rural GP, you better send them in, um, rather than a conversation of, no, no, how do I manage this patient here? Um, the quality of that conversation is incredibly important. So I'm going to go off sideways again, as I always do. I'm renowned for red herrings. And talk about Rufus. Have we got a Rufus in the room? A rural-focused urban specialist? These are specialists who are employed to cover rural areas with the essence of actually going out to rural areas, spending time there, understanding context, understanding the teams that provide the care, doing some education while they're there, and being available for consultation in out of hours. So if I have a problem... Uh, in paediatrics, my paediatric Rufus, John Garrett, I can phone him at any time and I will phone him. I won't phone the paediatrician on call because I have that relationship. Rufus-type physicians who have a focused interest in rural practice will do a huge thing for creating a supportive professional environment. Which brings me on to why rural-based clinical school. Firstly, what do we mean by this? It would be dispersed. The teaching would happen out in rural areas. The administration would be out in rural areas. It is interdisciplinary, so you're already from the word go beginning to build the teams uh, that are going to be 
uh, retained out there because they've uh, got to know each other. Community participation will be a crucial part of it, and it will create the rural workforce pipeline. We're talking about teaching core curriculum. We're not teaching them rural health. It's core curriculum. Amongst the people we teach out there will be people who want to be interventional cardiologists. But the, we know that the education they get in rural areas is at least as good than what you get if you have a, an urban-based education. It's good for students. We've shown it. It's good for practitioners, they have academic contact, and there's nothing more educational than sitting with a patient uh, and having a student in your room asking you questions of why you're doing this and why you're doing that, and teaching me what I've missed. It's good for the patients, they get higher quality consultations. It's good for rural communities. It is on the table with the Ministry of Health. They're just putting their toe in the water. It is time to grasp the onga onga. Does everyone know what onga onga is? It's the New Zealand nettle, Urtica ferox, as opposed to Urtica urtica, uh, which you all probably know. But ferox, it is particularly ferocious. If you see this plant, don't pick it. Thank you. Dr. Doug Lush is sole practitioner in an isolated town on the east coast of the North Island. The town of Uwawa has a 900-strong community, mostly from Ngātipurō iwi. Here he tells how rewarding his relationship with this community has been, but how it required a recalibration of some of his loftier dreams as a public health physician. No tamaki makaraho ko Ngāti Pākehā te iwi ke Tūranganui Akiwa I noho ana aho ke nati pro haora i mahi ana aho ko Douglas Taku Ingoa. So I've public health trained and I've left the comfort um, of the public service um, to move to a rural area um, where I'm now working. I'm giving very much a personal perspective of how it's been for me, and I'm hoping this might be of interest for public health physicians or other people who are looking for moving to a rural area, or those people who've wondered why population policies fail to get traction in rural areas. Uh, so I um, did training in Darwin. I did the Masters of Applied Epidemiology and qualified with the Faculty of Public Health in 1996. I then moved to the comfort of the Ministry of Health bunker, um, where I drank great coffee and wore very smart suits. Um, and also advised in population health, including advice to the emerging primary health care strategy. And I believed at that time that the ministry had the necessary levers and incentives to ensure that primary care was population focused and that that would reduce inequalities. Um, since then, I've become slightly more enlightened. Um, when the opportunity came to, to move, I took that opportunity and did some retraining um, in general practice and then moved to uh, Uwawa, which is a wonderful slice of paradise, about 40 minutes north of Gisborne. Um, it's rich in history. 250 years ago this October, Captain Cook sailed into this harbour and he was very wel um, warmly welcomed by the locals, as have I been in this community. Um, it's about a thousand people, uh, mainly Maori from a single iwi, and they're disproportionately affected by communicable and non-communicable diseases, and very highly exposed 
um, to tobacco, um, to degraded ecosystems, to poverty, to damp houses, to dangerous jobs and pastimes, to dangerous roads and a dangerous and unrelenting ocean. So I work um, for Nati Prohara. So Nati Prohara has six clinics up the East Cape. I'm a part-time sole practitioner um, here at Uwawa. And when I moved there, I thought this would be the perfect place to practice a population health focus, um, in that it's a single iwi. They've been living there for many generations. Um, they certainly see themselves as a community and behave very much as a single coherent community. However, I've found that um, the community and the practice are all focused on acute care. So everyone who books to see me books the next possible appointment. And we never seem to have the time, resources or space to actually get ahead of that acute demand that we have. Clinical challenges. So I'm, as I said, I'm part-time um, GP. I have no clinical support, which is a very difficult and dangerous place, I guess, to be in. It's difficult to keep up to date with the immense amount of information you need to, to have to be a practitioner. Um, there's this um, benign neglect. I'm very aware that it's often easy not to order investigations, not to refer patients, um, not to start medications, and that can actually perpetuate inequalities. There's great fragmentation of contracts. Uh, for instance, we don't have a contract for doing smoking cessation, and uh, half of our hapu or pregnant mums are smokers throughout pregnancy, so an enormous problem. And then inefficiencies of small scale. We're the smallest PHO in the country, um, and it means we don't have back-office staff for analysing data or for doing many of those back-office functions or to carry on relationships with the DHB. Um, recruitment issues. Um, so recruitment of doctors from overseas um, is a, an expensive, um, uh, both in terms of getting to the country but also in terms of orientation. They don't understand rural um, and invariably these people don't stay. So the, the six months is the maximum I've seen um, people stay within our organisation. Uh, then there's variable um, motivations for moving to rural areas. Um, so some people will be escaping the big city, some people will be escaping um, other experiences. Some come with grandiose uh, delusions about what they can achieve, others come with a missionary zeal. Um, and often what they want to do isn't at all aligned with the community. Um, I've just got a few photos of, of some of the activities I get involved in. Um, so the coffee's awful, it's instant, um, but the kaimoana fresh from the sea, simply prepared, is magnificent. And we have community or lunches once a month with other health providers to look at uh, who are the most needy within the population and try and target some of the, um, our, our efforts towards those most needy. Um, one of the logs that lost, washed down the river last year, down the Uwa River, I got off the beach and I've converted this to a bike parking, which we've put in front position outside our clinic and we're encouraging people to use active transport. So I'm very keen on encouraging healthy eating and healthy action. I attend the um, local school um, once, uh, once a term and talk to the school boys about their current health and the importance of their health for their future roles they're going to have in the community. Cool, so I hope um, that any of you who are um, public health physicians looking at moving to rural will see this as a, a possibility to um, have a different experience. So just some suggestions. Um, 
I think more flexible jobs, part-time jobs, maybe joint placements with the DHB, a bit more um, creativity about what a GP job might look like. Um, this idea of the ageing or this concept or the reality of the ageing workforce may be turning that on its head, that possibly um, end of career uh, single experienced physicians are the very people who should be working in these communities and are best placed to work in these communities. Uh, looking at non-financial incentives, there's plenty of other reasons for living in these communities. The extraordinary sense of um, community, of achievement, um, and also working with the unworried unwell is much better than what you can experience in a, uh, an urban setting. Thank you. Tenakoto, tenakoto, tenatoto kata. Many thanks to Doug Lush, Ross Lawrenson and Martin London for permitting me to adapt their lectures for this podcast. The views expressed are their own and may not represent those of the Royal Australasian College of Physicians. You'll find links to their presentations from Congress 2019 at our website, racp.edu.au slash podcast. There's also a list of other useful resources for clinicians practising in rural areas. You can also nominate a colleague for the RACP Medal for Clinical Service in rural and remote areas. Don't forget that fellows of the RACP can claim CPD credits for listening to this podcast. There's a link on the webpage that will pre-fill your logbook for you. Please share this podcast with colleagues or even leave an iTunes review if you have time. You can subscribe to Pomegranate Health via any podcasting app on your phone. Or if you prefer an email reminder, there's an alerts list at our website. You're always welcome to send any feedback and story ideas to podcast at racp.edu.au. I'm Mick Havatsini. Kia ora koutou katoa.